I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And you might say, Ephesians? I thought we were in Acts. Yes, we are in Acts. Um, however, I returned home. Uh, I got in my driveway at 9 a.m. on Wednesday and then had the, the ambition that I'm going to prepare for our next sermon in Acts. And then I worked on it on Wednesday and my brain was fog. And uh, I just wanted to spare you. You did not want to sit through what I wrote on Wednesday. I'm going to come at that again next week. Um, and so instead, I thought, well, Ephesians chapter 2 is this beautiful passage, and I had the privilege of preaching this at the men's conference. And so I woke up on Thursday, and I said, you know what, maybe the Lord's put this fog here for a reason. Let's turn to Ephesians 2, and you can consider this as something of a, maybe a commercial break from our Acts series. Um, but this passage is one of the most beautiful, one of the most profound passages in all of the Bible. And particularly, what this passage teaches us about the gospel is a lesson that, uh, that many in this room have learned already, and yet that all of us in this room are inclined to forget. And as we forget this lesson, we, we fail to live the life that we were made to live. So we need to return to it. We need to come back to it. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 10. As you're turning there in your Bible, and I hope that you are turning there in your Bible, one question as we get into the text. I want to ask you this morning, who are you? It's a big question. You could answer that question in a number of ways. Who are you? If you're in a social setting, you know, you, you probably are going to turn to your profession. You know, we, we do that. Our identity gets tied up in our profession. Who are you? Well, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor in Aurelia at Redeemer City Church. Or you might say, I'm a lawyer. I'm a carpenter. But then, you, you know, you get beyond that, that outer layer and perhaps in the more intimate social setting, like with family, they ask, who are you? And you'd say, well, you know, I'm, I'm Amanda's husband. And I'm Luke and Abigail and Noel's father. Or I'm Tony and Marnita's son. But then there's a different answer when you're lying in bed at night, isn't there? And, and there's no other audience, just you. Who are you really? And having spoken to many of you and having laid down in my own bed at night, I know that sometimes those are frightening answers. Who are you? Well, I'm, if I'm honest, I feel like a bit of a failure. I feel like I'm a bit lost. You know, or... I'm turning, into, I'm turning into my dad. I never meant to do that. I'm turning into my mother. I never meant to do that. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a loser. Or I, don't, I don't measure up. I don't stack up. Who are you? You know, how do you answer that question? Because the way that you answer that question really says so much about you. And the way that you answer that question really does dictate the way that you live your life. It can send you on a, on a wonderful trajectory or else it can send you spiraling. And the Apostle Paul knows that this is a, a critical question. And so in our text this morning, he presses us into it. Only he makes sure that we walk away from this text knowing full well that there is, there's one right answer for this question if you're in Christ. And so we're going to jump into the text. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 10. So look with me now. Ephesians chapter 2, reading verses 1 to 10. Before we read, let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we look to your word today, and I pray that you would stir up in us expectation. Lord, and I know that there are, there are going to be people in this room who don't know you, who don't love you, who think that this is just a book akin with any other book that they might find on their bookshelf, but we believe that the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. I pray that it would go forth now and that it would, it would cut through the hardest of hearts, Lord, we believe that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. We believe that the word goes forth and it never returns void. So God, would you do in this place what it is that you have set out to accomplish? I thank you that we're in Ephesians 2. This wasn't the plan, but this is your plan. 
And so now, God, I pray that you would stir up in us a great expectation that we would hear from you, not from me. Lord, we've been hearing from the world all week long. We've been hearing from ourselves as we lie in bed at night. We want to hear from you. What does the creator and sustainer of all things have to say to us today? Speak now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, living, and active word to us today. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is a a beautiful passage. Truth be told, it's it's a complex, dense passage. But this morning, I want to push you into a very simple outline that I think will help to unfold the message for us. We're going to see three things here. We're going to see who we were. We're going to see what God did. We're going to see who we are. Okay, can you follow that with me? We're going to jump in. In verses 1 to 3, we discover who we were. Because the Apostle Paul understands, and we need to understand, that we will never wrap our minds or our hearts around grace, around the gospel, until we see honestly and truly who it is that we were before God saved us in Christ. So who were you before God saved you? Well, you don't have to look far. Look at verse 1. And you were what? Dead. Dead. Not sick, Paul says. Not searching. Not sleeping. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's who you were. So was I. So is everyone until they've been brought to life through faith in Christ. And if your theological system, if your approach to reading the Bible won't allow you to say amen to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, then you need a new system because everything that follows in this text is built on and, and jumps out of that truth. You were dead. Amen? See, the gospel is a miracle. And if you don't believe that first part, then, it's, then it is no longer a miracle anymore. If the gospel is just the story of how God takes, you know, bad men and makes them better men. Or or if the gospel is how God takes, uh, you know, distracted women and turns them into focused women. Well, that's no miracle at all. The gospel is a miracle because it makes not sick men become well or, or distracted men become focused. It makes dead men come to life. And that's a miracle every time. You know, we talk about boring testimonies in the church. And, you know, we, oh, I want my kids to have a boring testimony. But, you know, the reality is there are no boring testimonies. 
Every time a dead person comes to life, it is a jaw-dropping miracle. And in verse 1, he goes on to say, You were dead, that's who you were, in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So that's interesting. He's painting this picture for us that looks almost like something you'd find on the, the sitcoms today. You were dead, but you were walking. Right? You were like a little, we were like zombies following the course of this world. Do you remember, Christian, when you were a dead man walking, a dead woman walking, following the world? I do. Remember when the world told us that, that money would bring us joy and fulfillment? And so we spent all of our waking hours, all of our focus, trying to accumulate more because we thought that that would bring joy, but it was never enough, was it? Or do you remember when the world promised us that, that sexual gratification and freedom would bring us joy and happiness? And so we gave ourselves to, to one-night stands and to pornography binging, and we, we sent our minds and allowed them to indulge in all of this mess, and yet it was never enough, was it? Do you remember when the world said, well, if you just rest, if you can just get, get leisure and comfort, then that will make you happy. And so we spent all of our time thinking about the weekend. Oh, if I could just get to the weekend, if I could just get there. And then we plopped ourselves on our couches and we ate our Doritos and we binged our Netflix. And you know what happened though? It was never enough. And the world said, well, if you just accumulate more toys, more toys than your neighbor, then you'll be happy. So we filled the garage up with toys, but it wasn't enough. And the world said, well, if you just have children, it'll make you happy. And some of us couldn't even have children, and that was devastating. But then those who could have children put all of our hopes and aspirations in these things. We made idols of our kids, but it wasn't enough. They let us down. It was never enough. We were like hamsters running on the wheel. Do you remember? I remember. What a life it was. It was, it was called freedom, but it was slavery. And we knew it deep down. The world simply could not satisfy our deepest longings, though the world promised us again and again and again, I can. Inject this, drink this, accumulate this, buy this. It's never enough. Never. And in fact, when you, when you pull back and you look at the hamster wheel, it almost looks like, it almost looks malicious, the whole plan, right? Like, who, who does this? Who gets us living this way? Well, he goes on to explain that it, it actually is malicious. The whole system is animated by someone. Look at verses 2 to 3. We were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So he says it was the prince of the power of the air. He's talking about the devil. So we were following the world, but we were actually following the devil. So it was malicious. And, and how, did he, how did he get us to run his race? How is it that he kept us running in circles, chasing our tails? Well, he was dangling this, our, our passions, our desires. Because the devil knows something about you that you need to know about you. The devil understands that people do what they want. We do what we want. And when we're dead in our sins, we want all the wrong things. And so the devil just dangles it like a carrot. And he just keeps us spinning our wheels, spinning our wheels, spinning our wheels until we fall into hell. We were selfish, we were sinful, we were caught in the trap. Paul concludes, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When we were dead in our sin, and we were living in that sin and indulging in that sin... The Bible tells us that God's righteous wrath was aimed at us because 
We were part of the problem. We were perpetuating everything that's wrong with the world. He is holy, 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 and we were not. And so we were children of wrath. That's what the Bible says about who we were. His, his wrath was directed at us, rightfully so. We were dangling over the pit of hell, and guess what? We didn't even care, because we were dead. That's who we were. And boy, if we stopped there, this would be a terrible sermon, wouldn't it? But it doesn't stop here. Paul doesn't stop here. Look at the first two words of verse 4. Isn't this amazing? But God. But God saw you in your sin. Saw you on the hamster wheel. Saw that, saw that you were dead. Saw that you were, you were like a zombie walking through life, chasing after all the wrong things. Saw that you were unsatisfied. Saw that you were unfulfilled. Saw that you were deceived. Saw that you were rebellious. Saw that you were an object of wrath. Saw that you were perpetuating sin into the world. Saw that you were a part of the problem, not a part of the solution. God saw all of that. And rather than just crushing you and condemning you to hell, which the Bible says is what we deserve as sinners, instead God looked at us in his mercy and his love and he set us on an entire Entirely different tra- trajectory. And that turns to the second part of this passage, which is what God did. How beautiful is this? Look at verses four to five. What God did. But God, being rich in mercy, did you know that's who he is? Mercy, which is, which is love and kindness towards people who don't deserve it. Being rich in mercy. It's just bubbling, oozing out of him. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Pause there. He loves us. Awesome. Like, how amazing is that? I just had my 11th wedding anniversary on uh, the 5th, which was, what, two days ago. And I'll tell you what, it blows my mind every anniversary that this woman loves me. Amanda, I don't even know if you're in here. Are you in here? She loves me. It's incredible. Listen, some of you in this room don't like me, and I don't blame you. I'm not kidding. Sometimes I don't like myself, if I'm being honest. I need to agree with God's assessment of me. But this woman knows me better than anybody else in the world. And she loves me. Like, what kind of covenant is that? What kind of commitment is that? It blows my mind. And you come back to these anniversaries each year, and I think, wow, that's incredible. You know, God knows me better than she does. God knows me better than I do. He, he, he knows you better than you do. Man, he, he sees right to the root of things. He's, he has listened to every single thought you've ever indulged in your mind. He, is, he saw all the stuff you do in the dark. He sees all of the ugly motives behind the stuff that you actually think is good. He, he knows us. But Paul says he is abounding in mercy, which is kindness and love towards people who don't deserve it. And he, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. That is awesome. You want to memorize something this week? Boy, hide that in your heart. He loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God showed his love for us in this. Incredible. He made us alive together with Christ, the text says. And see, this is important. There is no life apart from Christ. And that is our message as we go into the world. Let's make sure we never mute that as we preach the gospel. There is no life apart from Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No life without Jesus because we can't resuscitate ourselves. You ever seen a dead person try to resuscitate themselves? It goes poorly every time. We can't do it. And we can't work our way up into heaven. 
can't do it. God must do it, and he does it, how? By uniting us with Christ. This is, by the way, what we declare in baptism, physically, visibly. And we've got a baptism service next week, praise God. And we're going to see this again. As the candidate goes under the water, we're saying that they died with Christ. We're saying that they didn't just need a, a renovation. They didn't just need a few little tweaks. The old them died with Christ. The old them that was covered in sin, the old them that was born into Adam's rebellion, died with Jesus. And their sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Their sin, not, not just part of it, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. Where's the cross? There's a cross. There. Nailed to the cross, and they bear it no more. United with him in death. Right? That's what we're declaring. But then they come out of the water, and we say, and raise with him to walk in newness of life. That's what God did. In Jesus, with Jesus, through Jesus, you now live. And now when God looks at you, he doesn't see the, you know, the, the, the loser, Levi, who's made all of these mistakes. When he looks at me, he sees Christ. The Bible says, I'm clothed in his righteousness. Christian, you're clothed in the perfect obedience of Jesus. His perfect love for the Father, his perfect love for his enemies, his perfect love for his neighbors, his perfect obedience, it's now been placed on you. And through him, all of the promises of God have been unlocked. All of the blessings of God are are pouring out now on the people of God because of Jesus. How did this happen? Well, look again at verses 8 to 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Redeemer City Church, we have to understand this. If we're going to be, if we're going to be winsome, if we're going to be effective as we go into the world, we can't, we can't miss this. By grace, you've been saved, which means you didn't earn this. You did not earn this. You poke the person next to you. You don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. It, when we start to believe that we deserve this, that's where, that's where the pride kicks in, that spiritual pride. That's where the hypocrisy kicks in. That's where the self-righteousness kicks in. That's where the legalism kicks in. That's where the world looks in at us and, and thinks that you know, we're, we think we're so much better than others. But that's not who we are, right? Because we were saved by grace. We don't deserve this. If you ever look at the cross and you see Jesus Christ dying there with the wrath of God poured out against your sin, you see him breathing his last breath so that you could be redeemed. If you ever look at the cross and say, you know what, wow, I deserve that, then you are deceived, right? If you ever look at the cross and say, man, he knew that I was going to make some good choices. He knew. He looked ahead and he saw what would happen with my life and he thought, worth it. You're, You're not seeing what you're meant to see. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. It was given to you by grace. God in his loving kindness picked us up out of the muck of our rebellion and our sin. And isn't that beautiful? Because listen, if it was about us earning it, then Christianity would be no different than any other religion in the world, including the secularism that we live in in our culture. Every other system involves us earning it. Everywhere else in your life is about me earning it. Right? Every other system, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to stand before the judge and he'll have my good stuff and he'll have my bad stuff and let's, hopefully I come out on top and if the good stuff is there, I go to heaven. 
or I get, I get reborn into a, a life where I'm going to have more wealth and I get another shot at it. That, that's not how the Bible works, though. In the Bible system, we stand before God and we've got our good deeds and our bad deeds and the whole thing is just a, a terrible mess. But God, he, he looks at all of that and he takes all of that and he puts it on the cross where Jesus has paid for it in full, removed it from us as far as the east is from the west, and then God takes the perfect obedience, the righteousness of Jesus, and he puts that on us and he says, come inside. Enter the joy of your master. And that's grace. None of us could ever deserve it. And we've got to tell people this amazing news because there are a lot of exhausted people out there and maybe there are some exhausted people in here trying to make amends for this mess that they've made of life. And God says, listen, I, there is, there's grace for you right here in Jesus. By grace you are saved. He says, through faith. Through faith. If you're in Christ, then there came a moment when God breathed life into your spiritual death and he opened your eyes for the first time to see. Do you remember that? Now listen, we have different experiences, so I don't want to universalize my own personal experience. Sometimes it's like God flicks the light on in a dark room and everything immediately makes sense. Sometimes it's like that dimmer switch. I know there's a lot of people here and your testimony is like a dimmer switch of God just helping you to see over time. But there came a time when suddenly there was enough light that you could see your sin. And suddenly all the stuff in yourself that you used to justify, the stuff that you used to make peace with, suddenly you saw your sin in, in its entirety for the first time and it broke you, didn't it? I to, I've told the story of, of when I was a young man and I was at this conference and it was the first time I grew up in the church. I'd heard all this stuff. I look at our young people in this room and it's like, man, I heard these sermons again and again. But for whatever reason at this, at this conference, it was the first time after a, a lousy, no, that's bad to say, a weird sermon about chocolate cake. It, but something clicked and God opened my eyes and I saw, I am a sinner. My sin, it's not just some little thing. It's an awful thing. And I've injected it into the world. And I've hurt the people around me. And, and why, how could God ever love me? And I saw God. I saw that he is holy. And suddenly that made sense for the first time. He's perfect. And look at me. And the, and the problem suddenly made sense. Like, how can I ever be in relationship with him? And then that made sense for the first time. The songs I had sung in my childhood, the, the lessons that I had learned in my Sunday school, suddenly all of it just clicked and I realized I am a sinner and I need a savior and Jesus is my savior. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus is, is Lord and I repented and I put my trust in him and God saved me. So by grace, he opened my eyes and then, and then he enabled me to put faith in Jesus and then he changed me, and it was slow and steady, because isn't that the thing? I'd love to say that then my life was just, whew, no, but it was this slow progression where day by day, he's changing me from one degree of glory to the next. But how did that happen? By grace, through faith. And at this point, the part of you that always wants to steal back a bit of glory wants to say, ah, oh, see, God didn't do all of it. I did some of it. I was the one who responded in faith. That was me. Okay. Except, look at what Paul goes on to say. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. So it's a curious, curious response to say, well, I, I was the one doing the faith stuff. That, 
you're missing the point entirely. The whole point of this passage, Paul's main emphasis, is the glorious, mysterious, scandalous reality that God did this. God did this. We were dead. We were objects of wrath. But now we're alive. And Paul concludes, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The people of God declare, God did this. He did it. It's a miracle that you believe, Christian. It's a miracle that you responded to God in faith. Every single Christian in this room is a walking, talking monument of mercy. And that's what Paul is arguing in this passage. And it brings us to our conclusion. So he's, he's told us who we were. We were dead in our sin. And then he's shown us what God did by grace through faith. He, he's brought us to life. But now he comes to the conclusion of who we are. To what end has all this happened? Look again at verse 6. Paul tells us here that God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So one of the challenges of, uh, I shouldn't say challenges, one of the things that happen as we read through our Bibles is that sometimes we just get moving so fast that we rush past things. And you might rush past it once, twice. You might rush past it for a lifetime. I feel like as I was studying for this sermon, this detail in verse 6 just jumped out at me. And I thought, how have I rushed past this so many times? Look closely. Raised us up with him. Seated us with him. Not to take you back to English class, but those verbs, what tense are they in? They're in the past tense. Raised, E-D. Seated, E-D. It, meaning, this is done. This is something, this is This already happened. He doesn't say that God is going to raise us with Christ. He will seat us with him. No, he says it's already done. Meaning somehow in some mysterious spiritual sense, if you are in Christ, you are right now raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places. Have you ever thought of that? How do I even make sense of that? And as I thought about it, my mind went to Romans chapter 8. This familiar passage that you've likely heard. Let me just read it for you again. And again, listen and put on your English class ears and listen to the tense of these verbs. For those whom he foreknew, I'm reading Romans 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, past tense, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those whom he predestined, he also called Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's that's something, isn't it? So think about that. Meaning he's he's starting this work in you, but there's a very real sense in which this is already completed. Hmm. And as I pondered that, my mind goes to the cross. And I remember the one who saved me saying this amazing thing. He said, it is what? Finished past tense. Jesus didn't hang on the cross and say, it has been started, and if you work really hard, and if you read your Bible lots and pray lots, then you just might see this through to the end. That's not what he said. Praise God, that's not what he said. He didn't say, he didn't say it, is, it is 
started, but if, if you can just keep your faith in order, if you can just get these right things. That's not what he said. Jesus there bore the sin of all of his people on that cross, those whom he foreknew and predestined before the foundation of the world, and he said, it is finished, accomplished, completed. I've paid for it. It's done. And the Apostle Paul, now delighting in this truth, in Romans, and in our text here in Ephesians, and we see it all over his letters, is saying, this is done already. Christian, you need to understand that he has won the victory, and you get to live in that place of victory, which is why he could write to the Philippians and say, and I'm sure of this. Not, I hope, you know, I am really optimistic that. No, I am sure of this. What? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Boy, that's the clear teaching of the New Testament. Therefore, as one commentator writes, although not yet there physically, we Christians are already in the heavenlies by virtue of our union with Christ. Spiritually, we are seated on the throne along with other believers. So Paul, we're talking about who you are. So Paul's leaning a sin and he's like, hey, remember you were dead. But God, he raised you to life. And he is seated with you. He has seated you with Christ in glory. See, and that's, that's who you are. You wrap your head around that, your heart around that. This is a bigger plot twist than any story that Hollywood's ever written. But it's not a fairy tale. This is your life. This is true of you today. This is who you are. Now, so you say, well, but I, that doesn't seem to line up with reality because I'm fighting all kinds of spiritual battles. And that's true, you are. The Christian life, we labor on in weakness and rejoicing. We're, we're fighting this battle. But as we frequently sing here, we're fighting a battle that he already won. A battle that he already won. He's going to see this through. He's, he's got you. C.S. Lewis in his famous book, The Weight of Glory, he argues that if we could, if we could see ourselves now, if we could truly see who, who we are becoming, who we will be in glory, who we are in Christ, if you could see that fully, you'd be tempted to worship yourself. Listen, some of us have a, we're walking around with a, an estimation of ourselves that is far too small. Some of us are walking around through this life and we're wearing name tags that don't belong to us anymore. Like you picture the name tag, hi, my name is... And some of us are walking around with a name tag that says, Hi, my name is Loser. Hi, my name is Unlovable. Hi, my name is Good for Nothing. My name is Failure. My name is Never Gonna Amount to Much. My name is, my name is, that doesn't belong to you anymore if you are in Christ. Brother, sister, you're a child of God. You are a child of God if you are in Christ. If you have confessed your sins and placed your trust in Jesus, and maybe somebody's here and you haven't, can I tell you some amazing news? You can, you can be saved today. If God is open, maybe you're having the experience today that I had back in, when in my grade 11 year in that gymnasium. If he's opening your eyes to see your sin and to see his holiness, if he is showing you that Jesus Christ came and lived the life you couldn't live and paid your debt, if you are seeing that, you know what you need to do? You don't need to, to go and, and earn your way to heaven. You look to Jesus and be saved. You confess your sins and say, I'm a sinner, I need a savior, and Jesus is him. He's come to save you. And if that's you, if, if you are saved you are a child of God. You are an heir to the throne. The, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, you're going to judge angels. Like, 
Wrap your head around that. You're, God's plan is for you to be under God, but over everything else, to exercise dominion on his behalf over the world. That's who you are. That's who you will be into eternity. And you're walking around with this name tag that's not true. Rip it off. Jesus died on the cross, and he took that, all those name tags, he, he took all of those in his flesh. They're gone, so quit putting it back on yourself, and certainly don't pick it up and put it on somebody else. I mean, you talk about, this is why when we come to the table, we talk about how we are celebrating this forgiveness, but we need to forgive others, because what a horrible thing it is if somebody, if God takes off the name tag of somebody, he's like, you're not, you're not a loser anymore, and we pick up the name tag, and we say, actually, you are. I'm not done with you yet. That's what unforgiveness is. Unforgiveness is doing just that. It's, it's taking all the sin that Jesus removed from somebody and saying, actually, you can carry this for a little bit longer because I'm not done with you. And that's why when we come to the table, we, we, we say, no, we need to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us before we come to this feast. When we lose sight of who we are, we rob God of glory. Let me lean in here. What's at stake here? I'm, I'm passionate about the truth that we see here. Because I want you to have the joy of the Lord. But actually what's at stake here is so much more than just you experiencing the joy of the Lord. Though you can have it. There is, there is joy of the Lord when we see who we are and live out of who we are. But deeper than that, what's really at stake is that when we are living like who we were, we are robbing God of glory. We rob God of glory when we pick up all the name tags that Jesus ripped off for us and we lay them back on ourselves. That robs him of glory. Oh, you're a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, what a, what a beautiful thing it is to be a Christian. I'm, just, I'm the worst. I'm just a big old loser bag when I'm a Christian. It's like, oh, how compelling. That's so great, what God has done in your life. That's not what he saved you. To, that's not who you are in Christ. He, he's got higher ambitions for you. You're a walking, talking monument of mercy. Look at, am I just saying this? No. If you look at the Greek text, which you haven't, most of you probably. But if you look at the, the Greek, the verses 1 to 7 are actually just one long sentence. Long, dense, beautiful sentence. Where he talks about who you were. You were dead in your sin. And he talks about what God did. By grace, through faith, you've been saved. But then he comes in verse 7 to this beautiful conclusion. He, look at the first words of verse 7. You can see it in your Bible. So that. Those are purpose words. So why, did he, why has he done all of this? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So that whole monument of mercy thing, that's not just some idea. That's what God is saying in this text. He has lavished this unthinkable, unfathomable mercy and grace and kindness on us as the people of God so that, not just now, but for all of eternity, we would walk around and people would look at us and say, your God is so kind. Your God is so amazing that one million years from now, I'm going to be in heaven and an angel's going to look at me and he's going to say, I cannot believe that God did this. How gracious is he, Levi? And I'm going to say, I know, angel. I, I know. Can you, can you fathom that he's done this? As he's measuring all this kindness and love and, and blessing me for all eternity. And, and we're going to be looking at each other saying, who could have ever deserved this? Answer, none of us. And yet look at what he's done. And in that, he will be glorified in us. And we can live that out now. Not just a million years from now in front of angel. We can live that out now as we walk into our neighborhoods and our streets. 
Because God is just pouring his kindness on us. Romans 5 says the Holy Spirit is pouring the love of God into our hearts. He's pouring all that on us. Now there's an enemy. And you know why do we put the name tags on? Because he's whispering in our ear. Put that name tag back on. He's whispering in our ears. God doesn't, how could God really love you, you, you loser? That's, doesn't he, he's really good at it, isn't he? Like why is it that when we're lying in bed at night, our, that answer to who I am, it, it goes to dark places all the time. Why is it that our failures are always bubbling up to the surface, condemning us? Because the thief comes to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. And because the thief is the accuser of the saints, and so he whispers in our ear, and, he, and it's his, his desire that we would come in here each and every Sunday, and all of us would be wearing all of our lousy name tags, and that would make us miserable. And then we would be miserable towards one another, and in our pride, we would harbor bitterness and grudges, and, and he would turn us all against each other. And rather than being these beautiful monuments of mercy, we would be these introspective messes of misery. That was off the cuff, messes of misery. I've been that, probably that's why it comes to my mind, because I'm often living in that mess of misery. But that's not who you are. In verse 10, Paul reminds us that God's purpose is not just for eternity, but it's for now. Look at verse 10 one last time as we come to a close. Paul writes, for, so another purpose word here, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So not only are we these monuments of mercy, but we're also, Paul says, these conduits of blessing. It's like, imagine yourself, you're like a little, like a pipe where God from heaven, he's sending his blessing down into the world through us. We were created in Christ Jesus for these good works, which he prepared in advance to be our way of life. He's blessed us so that we would be a blessing to the world. And so as we come to a close this morning, I want to ask you one question. Are you living... In your day-to-day life right now, are you living like who you were or are you living like who you are? If you're in Christ, then you're going to need to let go of some of those old familiar lies that you've become all too familiar with. You know, by way of application, you know, what, well, what do we do? Maybe you're here and you're so bogged down in your misery that you're angry at me right now. You know, like it's one thing to say these things. But now I'm just walking out of here. I got, what, do I, what am I supposed to do about it? Can I give you one thing? If that's you, if that's you and you're like, man, there's this one name tag that I wear all the time and I just, I take it off but then I put it back on the next day. If that's you, can I tell you? Confess your sin to someone. Like, here's your application. Talk to somebody. It doesn't need to be me. In fact, I'd rather that it was somebody next to you. Talk to, talk to somebody, your, your wife, your, your friend, or just somebody that you're worshiping with week after week and tell them, say, listen, this is the lie that always gets traction in my brain. This is, I always feel like the worst mom in the world. Or, or I always feel like I don't measure up to these other guys in the church. Or I always feel like I don't belong and I'm out of place. Or, or, or I always feel like I've wasted my life. Or, or I, I missed, I missed the, the junction at some point and now my train's going off this way. I, I always feel like... If that's you, I would encourage you, find somebody and just put that out there and invite them to pray with you. You know, the enemy, he loves to work in secret, but God says, you know, we bring the stuff into the light. So there's your application. Because if you're in Christ, you're not a failure. You are not a loser. In fact, I'd go so far as to say, if you're in Christ, you're not a, you're not a porn addict. You're not a negligent father. You're not a junkie. You're not unusable. You're not disqualified. You're not a mistake. 
if you are united with Christ, you're an heir to the throne. You are a blood-bought child of God. God has given you your identity. So live in it. And here's a, here's a beautiful truth. You're not a self-made man. We're about to go into a world full of self-made men, self-made women. Guess what? We're not one of them. I'm a God-made man. He made me. He's, he defines me. I'm his workmanship, brought from death to newness of life to live according to his glory and grace. And there's no greater calling in the world. So as we conclude, let me ask you one more time. Who are you really? Don't waste another second of your life living like who you were. By grace, through faith, step into who God has saved you and made you to be. Live like who you are, church. To that end, let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. And uh, we marvel at the truth that you love us. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see just that incredible truth. These, these doctrines of grace that we see in your word. The purpose of the doctrine, even though, even though this is telling me that I'm dead in sin, that I was dead in my sin, even though this is telling me that there was nothing in me that caused you to love me, that the takeaway is not that I should walk around in, in misery and, and self-condemnation and, and making fun of myself. No, you go a step further and you say, this is who you were. But Lord, help us to see the glory of what you've done. Lord, help us to be a people who are filled with the joy of the Lord. Help us to be the people who walk with a, a godly confidence. Lord, a, a supernatural ambition. God, help us to remember that one day we'll, we'll stand before you and, and we'll give an account for what we did with these lives, Lord. And I pray that, that none of us would stand before you and, and offer up, you know, just this one coin, you know, because we spent our whole lives deceiving ourselves and being deceived and, and, and wallowing. Lord, you've, you've made us to abound. And Lord, we can't abound until we abide in Christ. So help us. God, I confess, I have no idea how, uh, how the word has been heard around this room um, the different applications, the different truths. Lord, I'm always so thankful that I talk to people and, and their takeaway was something I don't even remember saying because, Lord, it's your word. These are your people. And so I ask that now your spirit would, would press and move and apply. And, Lord, I, I would just go a step further and I, I pray that today would be a day of salvation. Lord, that if there is someone here and for the first time their eyes are, are being opened by grace, that through faith they would see and savor and put their trust in Christ. Lord, letting go of the things of the world and, and holding on to the only thing that matters. I pray that that would happen today. God, you can do that. So I pray that the dry bones, the dead bones would rattle and come to life right now in this room. Lord, perhaps there will be a baptism next Sunday that we weren't anticipating. Lord, we, we trust you and we entrust all of this to you. But Lord, use us now as we go. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Worship team, would you lead us?